Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. lovely to see everybody thank you for your support it's lovely I hope you're here because you're actually enjoying the um the digging because that's what we're doing and we make no apologies for that that's why we made this um you know what it is um I need to say right at the beginning of tonight that remember that just because I'm bringing this and this is my stuff that I've dug out that doesn't mean to say that there isn't more to be found or something here we might find later that actually that might not be so right but that's what this is about so always remember I'm not telling you that this is concrete um, because that's what's been done to us for an awful long time through the centuries being told things were concrete and then we realized it wasn't so healthy and, uh, you know, I just don't want anybody to get the idea that um, we are trying to, you know, build something as concrete but just different. Um, we are finding what we could put our trust in. Um, but you get, you get this, the spirit of that. It's really interesting as well that um, somebody said, you know, we seem to be doing a lot of deconstructing, but what about the building up? And that is a, a valid point, but there's also something else that I need to say that we are actually building up at the same time as we are deconstructing. Now, you might say, well, how, what, I I feel a bit adrift. You see, if I challenge your concept of God and we say that God is no longer this, that leaves room for us to say, but that means he must be this. So you can't say, oh, you've told me he's not this, but you haven't put anything in its place. We have, it's just that sometimes it doesn't register to actually say, oh, that means he must be this, and therefore that starts to build. So I want to encourage you that as we deconstruct, you have the bravery to say, oh, well, in that case, I wonder if he is this or this means that, and it allows you then to start building up a different picture, which doesn't leave you where a lot of people, and I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of people out there who are going the same journey as we are, but they end up feeling incredibly lost and it's because they smash the thing to bits and all the left is the rubble and they then don't know where to go. But I actually don't think we've done that here. I think we've spent an awful lot of time, yes, taking things down, but very carefully removing bricks, putting them on one side and deciding whether we want to pick them up and put them back. Would you, would you agree? Right, let's get the lid off this one. <laughs> okay. The reason why I want to talk about this, and again, I've got to be careful how I put this. Um, some of you have come into the church and you have no idea of anything other than what you've learned here. Now, that's not true for me in the sense that I have a very long history, right? So I've had a history that, yes, was here, 
but it was different to what we're believing and saying now. And um, some people then say, well, why are you bothering going over what was? Because why aren't we happy just talking about what is now? The reason why I think it's incredibly important is because there are millions and millions of people out there who are still stuck in what was. And unless you know what was, you, you end up talking to some people who, let's use the word, are called Christians. And you're thinking, why is it that I feel as though I'm an alien? <laughs> we're supposed to have the same uh, experience, but it seems as though we're on a different page. And it is exactly that. It's because we are in a position now where we almost, and please hear my heart, we can almost not call ourselves Christian anymore because mainstream Christianity is not what we are. Now, it's not because we're not Christ followers. We're very much Christ followers. But because we don't hold to mainstream Christianity views, one has to ask the question, can we actually call ourselves Christian? Now, again, if you go back to the early church, they were called Christian, but very derogatorily. And because, in essence, they were believing what we believe now, and then we've got this whole uh, century after century of layer upon layer of what some people call extraneous matter that's just basically made the thing not look remotely like it was meant to look like in the beginning. Still calling it Christianity, but the shape and the, the size, the color, the, the sound is so different, then you think, heck, What's going on here? Does it, am I making sense? Because this is sort of my introduction. So in order that we might understand what, why, then we use phrases like, oh, I, I struggle with using the phrase Christian now. We have to ask, well, why is that? Now, I know that we keep dripping things about, you know, our understanding. But let's read, shall we get down to nitty gritty? And if you've never understood this before or never known it, that's fine. Don't let it upset you, don't let it bother you, but at least it'll say, wow, now that gives me some understanding why certain things are like they are. Do you get me? So the backbone of, now have you noticed there, there's a word there, Western. Now you might say, why have you put Western? Why isn't it just the backbone of Christianity? Because I'll get Anth to do a, a wonderful study on how basically the, the gospel went east and it went west and even to this day it's different because it had a different feel it had a different foundation all because of culture and how it was carried right so that's why we have to say western but of course we're western so we're not really bothered in one sense what's going on in the east we're interested in what's happening to us and where we are so we're going to talk about the backbone of Western Christianity. Now, if you think about it, you've got a place like the United States of America with a huge population who hold to this so staunchly that they even have a group called, you know, the Christian right, who were so pushing this, the backbone of Western Christianity, which becomes very political and it, it 
it really does cause a, a lot of problems. So anyway, I'm still, this is my introduction, if that's okay. Is it making sense? Sorry, I'm really thirsty. Ah, okay, so if we maybe just um, put on the, um, oh yeah, let me just say this before I carry on. I'm going to sort of pick up a little bit as well from Saturday night where we talked about how if we're not careful, our God concepts can be faulty. And if we've got a, a, a faulty God concept, then it leads us into all sorts of, uh, of issues. Now, some people uh, will not particularly understand this, but I, I have thought to myself, yeah, faulty God concepts make us really miserable and um, very, you know, very depressed because how we see God and what his character and nature is like and what we believe him to be ultimately comes back to us and we end up either incredibly condemned or something goes on because of that God concept. Now you might say, well, there's lots of miserable people out there who are not religious, who, you know, what, what do you put that down to? It's still their God concept but it's not God in the context of religion. Think about it. If what happens is something out there has got to be attained, becomes your God. So whether it's God of religion who says you need to be this, that, and the other, or it's the God of business or whatever that says you need to be this, that, and the other, or you need to have a better family life, or you, you, know, you need to have a better marriage, or you need to be better at this, that, and the other, that becomes the the thing, the superior thing that they are bowing to to try and attain. Is this making sense? So a lot of misery comes from a wrong God concept. So don't just think it's religious people. It's right across the board, a wrong God concept. Making sense? Okay. Um, what else did I want to say before I move on? Right. One more thing. We can say then, okay, surely we get everything that we believe from the Bible. And so people will say, you know, give me chapter and verse to prove that what you're saying here tonight is biblical. Now, the truth is I, can, I could do that, but this is what I sort of want to say, that there are things that I'm going to talk about tonight which are not in the Bible, but have become the backbone of Christianity. How could that happen? because it somehow fitted with the framework that people felt comfortable with. So nobody says to me, hang on a minute, I've just understood what the backbone of Christianity is and I can't find it in the Bible, therefore that's not true. They'll say, it must be true, because how can however many million people be wrong? I'm making sense. But then you could say to me tonight, if I say something that opposes this, you'll say, well, tell me where it says that in the Bible. And I'll say, well, the other doesn't appear in the Bible, so why do you need what I say to appear in the Bible? <laughs> Don't you find that hilarious? It just shows you how human nature is twisted <laughs> and biased. We want to believe what we want to believe. So, um, okay. Uh, I did say on... Um, uh, Saturday night that there is some things that are very difficult um, in the context of the questions 
that we ask. Um, so for instance, let me just give you this sort of little idea that, um, you know, were we created with a flaw in us, human nature? Were we created wrong? Um, human nature, our flesh, you know, like Anne talked about last week, it's, it's M.O. has this desire always for more. There's always something going on that it needs to attain more. But here's the question. Is that a result of something that we were told was the fall in Genesis? Or was it there before the fall? Is it something that makes us human? Or is the fall that we read in the Bible an attempt to explain the human desire for more? Is, are you listening to me? Is this okay? Because I'm not going to answer these tonight, but I'm just giving you them. Um, that is purely a human characteristic, and we call that sin. That is what then, if not mastered, leads us to evil in the world. And isn't it true that what most religions are trying to do is figure out what happened there in order to cause what's happening here? But the question that was there a flaw in us right from the beginning, I, I'm not going to answer that. These are the things that you have got to wrestle with, and we will, we'll talk about them in this group. But they are massive questions. So you'll find that some of that we're going to touch a little bit, answer a few of them uh, tonight. But what we're going to start with is this, if, if you want to just write this on. Three issues which are the backbone of Western Christianity. Original sin. Substitutionary, substitutionary, penal, now careful with that word, penal atonement, it's all right, atonement, yeah, atonement. No, atonement, that's it, just, and then the last one is everlasting conscious torment, which is otherwise, aka known as hell, right? That, those three things, now you could put there if you wanted slash heaven, <laughs> if you want, but they are the backbone of Western Christianity. Now, put your hand up if you knew that. Sort of, more or less, more or less, okay. So, if we were to say this then, the premise, and if you, you don't have to write this down, but if you want to, the premise, the basic premise of original sin, which takes us down the, these three to, to make sense of it all, is number one, humanity is damned. And you heard the word humanity. Humanity is damned. They are totally depraved. All right. Because we're born that way. I could sing, couldn't we? Born that way. 
I'm born that way. So born that way because of the sin of another. And therefore require a form of salvation that covers both the crime, the original sin, and the punishment, eternal conscious torment. You've lost it, have you? Therefore requires a form of salvation. I'll just put salvation. Requires salvation that covers both crime, covers crime, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that covers crime and punishment, which we know what they are, don't we? Crime was this original sin. Punishment is everlasting conscious atonement, which then enter the cross onto which God pours his wrath. Jesus, our substitute, da-da-da-da-da-da, see? Jesus, our substitute. See it? Are you getting the, the, the connection? Demanding blood payment. I know this looks long, but it's all right. You'll be able to look at this then, can't you? Demanding blood payment. that saves us from punishment. Right, which we know is everlasting, conscious, torment. Right, so what is amazing, you sit down for a little minute now. So what is awesome about this, that's the concept. And guess what happens with the Western Christianity's God. Guess what happens? He comes up trump with this. He covers this beautifully. Isn't that right? He does it. It's absolutely brilliant. So, the issue is, though, is this created to deal with something that actually wasn't... Sorry? Yeah, that wasn't there in the first place, that it was actually a flawed concept. Now, you see, this is the issue, because isn't that what we have understood? Now, don't get all too worried, because there's some of it that's okay, but other bits have been contorted, distorted, you know. So don't worry, but, but that is the basic. And like I was trying to say on Saturday night, if we've been taught that humanity is damned because of this original sin, what is the thirst then that we are going to have? It's to find a God that covers all of that. Isn't that just make total sense? So we found a God. It's awful when you talk like this because it's sounding like, oh, you know, you're saying just, you know, God in inverted commas. But I sort of am. Because we will find a God that will meet the needs that we feel we have. Now, remember I said on, on Saturday night, who told you you were naked? Now, if you've been told for century after century after century after century that 
humanity is damned, totally depraved, you are going to be thirsty for something that deals with that. And look how it does. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant because we have a salvation that covers the, the sin and the punishment. It's the cross, God's wrath, Jesus our substitute, blood payment that saves us from punishment. It's perfect. Now, let's just move on now. Original sin, actually, is not a concept of the Bible. It isn't a concept of the Bible, other than it being original in the sense that it happened with Adam and Eve first. <laughs> so it was original in the same way that somebody who, you know, Picasso, his painting would be original to him because nobody else had done one like it. You get the, the concept, okay. But what original sin concept comes from is actually a guy called Augustine who was in the fourth or third or fourth century. I, I struggle with where the centuries are. Do the, is it three, four, three to four, something, something? Which century is that? It's the fourth. Okay, so he's the fourth century and um, he was the one who said that because of this issue of original sin, we needed this sort of God to rectify the problem, right? Now, here's the thing. He said uh, that humankind had inherited from their primordial, primordial parents, obviously Adam and Eve, sin. And basically, this was going to be passed on, not because any act of their own, but just because of their act. So it was something that the moment that two people who got together, i.e. Adam and Eve, who then gave birth to Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel didn't have to do anything wrong of their own, just the very fact they were born of Adam and Eve made them evil, totally depraved. You see? That is the concept here. And um, then, of course, um, well, I've written here, his thoughts became the salt that made everybody thirsty for this new concept of salvation. Um, then there was John Calvin. He was sort of in the 15th century. So remember, there's the Dark Ages in the middle um, that suddenly he came up with the idea that man, obviously working on what had been said before, man's nature is so tainted, he is so disgusting that he couldn't choose God even if he wanted to and is vile in the eyes of his creator. So we've got Augustine and Calvin putting those two ideas together. It's horrible really, isn't it? Isn't it terrible? These are the ideas they have of, of people. And so we know something from the beginning is needed. We're not in any doubt. And I'm not saying tonight, so don't anybody quote me that Chris says we didn't have a problem. Yes, we have a problem, but I'm sure it wasn't the original sin problem that these two people have created and, and expanded the, the, the way they have. So let's uh, just look for a minute at what Augustine said. He said, humanity is corrupted to the core the reason why I'm telling you these things is because I want to, to make sure you understand the depth or the, 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 the heaviness of the drum that's been beaten for centuries that makes people, and especially those who were, who were born in probably more 
the 18th century, who really, and the Victorians and all, how, when you consider how they were brought up in their Christian upbringing, how severely distorted it was. We're not half as distorted now, but how it, it was. But basically this, corrupt to the core, driven by uncontrollable lusts and selfishnesses, born in sin, hopelessly driven towards evil that requires God's wrath, that humanity is on a collision course with hell's flames. But get this, because you're thinking, well, yeah, that's all right. But to, according to Augustine, even a baby, because some of you, see, these are some of the things we don't talk about. Oh, Christians don't talk about this, but it's there because it's the backbone See, they don't talk about it, but it's the backbone. That even a baby is guilty. And you think, what? How? Whatever did this baby do? You know, listen to what Augustine said. He said, did I cry so greedily for those breasts of my mother? See, you're smiling. But I'm trying to show you how bad the, the foundation is here of original sin. Did I cry so greedily for those breasts? If I am greedy now as an adult and are evil and need to be rebuked, then my behavior then as a baby is equally deserving of rebuke. Whoa. Then we have a, his view. And let me read it from here because I found, oh, I found some quotes you would not believe. I was telling Anthem and we're saying, isn't this vile, horrible, what the foundation is? It really is just so horrible. Listen to this. This is for... Are we, have we got some adolescences here? Hi, Kath. Oh, you've missed the start. Never mind. <laughs> um, listen to what he had to say about adolescence. What? Oh, is this you? Have we only got one? No, you're not adolescence. You're... Oh, they're over there. Listen to this. Listen to this. From the mud of my fleshly desires and my erupting puberty belched out murky clouds that obscured and darkened my heart until I could not distinguish the calm light of love from the fog of lust. Yeah, get that, mean that. <laughs> so basically what I'm saying, that the idea, the foundation of original sin is terrible. So one is that we're born that way. Babies in the womb are just as, you know, in danger. Um, listen to this, somebody else wrote this. Even if a human being thinks, says, or does nothing evil, nevertheless, our entire person is evil. Are you getting it? This is, this is, this is original sin. This is original sin, okay? And what I want to do by the end, you see, I'd like to, we've got to have one, two, three of our haven't we? And I can start immediately saying original righteousness, and I think, whoa, original righteousness is great. But, you know, that's a little bit of hope I'm putting in there, because this is quite nasty at the minute, isn't it? So that was one. Okay, number two, we're blamed for a sin we were not even present to commit, and are punished for a crime we didn't commit. See, once you start listening like that, and you're thinking, well, that's not justice. And we're told in the, the scriptures that God is just. So can you see how we, we're unfolding this? Uh, where's number three? Uh, yes, this, this inherited depravity is what the Christian message offers us 
salvation from and it sounds really good but you're thinking hang on a minute but were we as depraved as we told we were okay let's have a look at uh, yeah this is the story that's been impressed on us and I've already said who told you, you were naked now I agree that we become broken and nobody's arguing that we become broken because the choices that we make take us into brokenness but the point is we weren't born broken we just chose to make choices that made us broken. But even then, we're going to get on to talk about the fact that our creator, knowing that, didn't bail on the creation. So it's wonderful anyway. It's some great news. But look at this. Um, let's move on. Uh, I'm going to talk a bit more about that later. But, um, oh, was that four? Number five. Um, so this view demands a God of a very particular shape, he has to be the answer to sin and punishment that punishment deserves. But see, what is original sin in the context of Augustine and Calvin? We, in essence, has become totally different, I believe, from what was or originally the, the idea. Or should I say, an idea of original sin is what really got uh, propelled rather than the real understanding of it, which we're going to look at in, in a little bit. Now, I, I, I'm, yeah, this is the point where I've got to decide where I'm going. I, I'm going to carry on, sorry. Okay, this is where I'm going now. Hang on. Hang on. Okay, then there was a guy called Jonathan Edwards. I don't know whether you've ever heard of this guy. He preached a sermon back in 1741. Oh, no, it's not the triple jumper. No, it's not. Sorry. For those who listen to the tape, he's not the triple jumper. It's a guy who preached a message in 1741, and it was a very famous message held in great esteem by the Christian uh, Puritans at the time. Okay. And he preached a message that was called um, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And that was the title. And you can see people, yeah, you know, going, going for it. But listen to, I want to just say, tell you some of the things. Because I really want to paint a horrible picture for you. Because I think it's going to save us. Yeah? It's going to save us. Listen to what uh, some of the things that were said here. God will hold, listen to this, and it's talking about children. Reprobate infants over hell with the tongues of his wrath. Reprobate means unrepentant, kids who refuse to see the light. But these are babies, these are children. But listen to this, it gets worse. The sight of hell's torment will exalt happiness of the saints forever. Oh, oh, this is lovely, isn't it? These are these forefathers. Then we've got this, such justice will increase the saints' bliss. <laughs> okay, so we could ask a question. What are these kids? Now remember, we, we've talked about humanity in general, but this is actually getting very specific down to little children here. What had they done to deserve this? They were born. Isn't that just awful? This is why I'm saying, now you see, this is interesting. If you have that idea, can you see how then 
the whole idea of going into Canaan and murdering all the children uh, is okay because they're sinners anyway. If they haven't repented, they're going to hell. Now, okay, I better come in at this point for anybody who's listening. I don't believe there is a hell. That's me. But these people did at the time, and this was the backbone of Christianity that they're preaching. Okay. But anyway, there's another issue that you've got to talk about. If this is the case of the backbone of Christianity is one that's saying right from birth, even babies, well, actually before, pre-birth, even in the womb, that they are, are guilty. Why are then Christians so uh, weird about abortion and stuff? Because you're thinking, that doesn't make any sense. Because if life isn't precious, if we're only saying that the kids are you know, going to be burned anyway, then what's the problem? So there's this like contradiction in terms that says, oh yes, we've got to stand for righteousness that says we mustn't abort a baby. But at the same breath, we're saying, but they're going to hell anyway because they're, they're totally depraved and they're damned. So listen, this is what makes it really quite interesting. So you get to a place where you get desensitized through what's supposed to be a life-giving message because of a, a concept that tells us this. And you can see why it then causes so much trouble across the world. If each of us think, well, you're so depraved, and <laughs> unless, I, unless I manage to convert you, you know what I'm, what I'm saying? Okay. Um, now, we could talk about Jesus here, but I'm probably going to talk about that next week, but I'll just drop it in right now, because we have a problem, because it shows you that some theologians and some of these people who were supposed to be really, really clever, who were pushing the idea that to be born human meant that basically that you were totally depraved, they should have stopped for one minute and said, hang on a minute, we've just celebrated Christmas, because their saviour, who was ultimately going to be this is what? Born. Oh, we haven't got born, have we? We should have born, maybe. As a, as a at least half human, if not fully human, because the Bible does say that it was fully man, fully God, so I'm not going to argue that. But the point is, even if we just go to the being half human because of human mum, godly dad, genetically half. So why could they then decide that Jesus could be our substitute? Because ultimately, he was born as totally depraved. Sorry, half depraved. Sorry, half depraved. As half semi-depraved as the rest of us were. Uh, the rest of us were. And you're getting now, we could talk, talk a little bit more about that. Might come back to that later. Will you remind me to come back to the bit about Jesus, because then we can sort of, um, uh, let's see, so where are we now? Okay. So nobody is sort of saying that there isn't a problem that we've got to deal with, but whether this original sin is the thing or not, I've just lost my place, so let me just have a look. So, we don't, yeah, I don't know whether I'm going to have to go back to that. Okay, so, um, all right. So, because of this most gruesome uh, idea of humanity, and especially when it came down to 
what that meant about children. You can imagine that didn't look very good. And so what was introduced was what was called the age of accountability. Now, you remember this, don't you? You, you said if they got to 12, you know, you know, before they were 12. Do you remember that or not? Do all your sinning before you're 12. Do you remember? <laughs> can you just hang on one minute because I've sort of lost my place. And then if I find my place, I can do it. Right. Right. So... The age of accountability, see, this makes the whole thing look a bit more palatable because basically we can say, right, when is the point where a human being basically understands their actions and can say, I knew the difference between right and wrong? And even if we stand here now and say, what age is that? I mean, I haven't a clue, have you? Have you a clue? But somehow, they figured out it was about 12, about sort of, tw you know, because they could spot their own sinfulness of their own actions and also at the same time be able to understand this bit about Jesus being the substitute. But here you go. There is no mention of that in the Bible at all. There's nowhere that it says, Okay, here's the, here's the issue. Children, you know, when you get up, up to 12, you're okay, but after 12, you're not okay. And babies who don't actually make it at all because they miscarry or whatever, they're okay. There is not a mention at all about it. Yet we came up, when I say we, backbone of Western Christianity, came up with this, right? Now, wouldn't you have thought that something of this magnitude do you not think it's magnitude would have been much clearer do you not think that it'd been precise instructions because you see I look at the Bible and I'll say uh, I look at the Old Testament for instance and we'll see things like um, what sacrifice you should bring you know handful of flour a pit, uh, two turtle doves bring this if you, if this has gone on and bring this if this has gone on and then they'll tell you on the first day of the 24th week of the second month of the you know the moon in Taurus I know that's not what it says, but it, it, it could just as well do. You know, all these festival days, and they'll say, you must do this, and you must do that, and you must do the other. Very, very strict and very, very clear. So the Bible can be incredibly clear, but on things of this magnitude, it says nothing. And so we make it up. Isn't that good? So we make it up, Right? And then we all have our ideas and then look what happens when things do go wrong. And I mean, I've seen it when, when people are going through horrendous uh, grieving, maybe a child's been lost and then they're, they're agonizing over whether that child is in heaven or not. Come on, it's horrible. And that's what has been the backbone of Christianity. And you can, is it any wonder why there's been such such issues so we get onto the whole thing then of if it's true that there's this age of accountability you do have this wonderful <laughs> window of opportunity that'll say do you know what it's a mercy of God when a horrible army charges into these places and kills all the people because all the kids under 12 otherwise they would have been 
dangled over hell with the tongues of God's wrath. But actually, instead, they're, they're now all saved because it was before they were 12 years old. Woohoo! Yeah. But, but you see, that it's not an exact science, is it? So think of the doubt that comes with, with all of this, right? So anyway, crazy ideas that God's merciful when somehow this sort of stuff happens. I just can't get your head around it, can you? And of course, what people then don't understand is how they don't think about how there's this confusion or disharmony. Because if the one, on the one hand, they're saying original sin is humanity is damned, everyone, you're born that way, but all of a sudden it's changed and now you've got others who are not born that way, they just become it a bit later on. So which is which? So confusion, see? It's horrible. Confusion is terrible. So you can't have it both ways. We're either sinners of because of what we did or what somebody else did, like the original sin. But you see, there's another issue here. None of us has to be born. Do you ever think thoughts like that? I know I'm crazy, but I think thoughts like that in the middle of the night. Because when I'm thinking about my beliefs, and what that means to me, I have to answer questions like that. Because if it's true that suddenly I am born of no choice of my own, and then I'm subject to this original sin that I knew nothing about, and then I understand that, hang on a minute, I'm totally depraved, and unless I can somehow sort this out, I'm going to be dangled over the, you know. That, to me is so unfair. And uh, it's when I start thinking like that, I have to think, can that possibly be true? And of course, we know then, when, when we come to talking about Jesus being the exact representation of the Father, we then look to him to give us insight into the heart of God in the hope that some of these questions will be answered. And guess what? The sort of aunt, which is interesting, other than, and I'll give you this now, maybe talk about this more next week, other than, what did he do with the little children? He says, come on, come to me. And he sat them on his knee and he said, for such are what? The kingdom. Oh, hang on a minute, that's going a bit opposite to, to everything else. If the, the, if the kingdom is built on them, then surely they can't have been born depraved Ooh, brilliant, eh? And then what else does he say? He tells the older people around, best way for you guys is to become like them. Because if you become like them, yours is the kingdom too. Whoa. So it seems that although Jesus wasn't specifically addressing Issues like original sin, we can say, yes, he was, but he did it in a way that doesn't even seem connected. He just said, become like this little child. I'll get rid of the idea of, of, of being born depraved right now because of such is the kingdom of heaven. The children, come unto me, right? So, where am I now? So, here we are. 
Um, I'm going to touch on that next week, I think. Okay, next thing. Um, we see then that this God, this God, is holding the entire planet <laughs> guilty for Adam and Eve's sin. Now, even in, in what do you call it, our, our oh, what do you call our, our systems, our legal system, that just could not happen. Even there's a phrase in the States that it's called statute of limitations. It says it's run out. So after a period of time, you can't go back and say, right, we're going to use that for this because it's like, it's too long ago, you can't... Now, I know people try to do that in this day and age, you know, go back 30 years and accuse somebody of whatever. But we're talking here about thousands of years, going right, right back to the very beginning. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, is this possibly right? Now, let's go to Genesis, um, because nowhere in the original story of the fall that, of course, we get the concept of original sin, which, of course, is not written there, but it was Augustine. Are you with me? That They got hold of it. And, of course, I have to put in there as well that Augustine was probably taking the writings of Paul. I'm going to cover that in a little, little while. That he, he took the writings of Paul, and it's always amazing how if you interpret backwards... Everything that you do is the interpretation of, so for instance, Augustine interpreted Paul, Paul interpreted something else, and somebody interpreted something else. That's why it's so important that if we say that we're a Jesus follower, that we've got to allow Jesus to be the voice, to be the one who gives us our direction, because otherwise we can really get off on a tangent. So let's look at what happened in, um, I feel as though I've missed bits out that I'm going to talk about next week, but would have been better tonight. So I, I'm really sorry. It's when you study this stuff, it's sometimes hard to know sort of where to, to fit it all. But just let's look at this uh, for now. And then we can maybe look at some other stuff. In Genesis, original sin, and we, you understand what I mean now by the concept of original sin, is not mentioned anywhere and it's not implied even. We have three characters. There's Adam, there's Eve, there's the serpent. I mean, there's four if you include God. But I'm, you know, the three main characters. And what we find is that, number one, the consequence for their choice, which has been built up to be what is the foundation of original sin. Have you got me? Are we clear? Was, listen to this, for Adam... Growing food is going to get harder. Yeah? Get me? For Eve, oh, sorry, I've missed one for Adam. There was two things. Growing food will be harder and death, basically, will just be a fact of life now. You're not going to live forever. Death will be a fact of life. There wasn't number three on there saying, everybody born after you will be stained by your act and basically come under my pleasure and wrath and be dangled over hell with the tongues of my wrath. Are you with me? It doesn't say that. It just says, growing food will be harder, death will be a fact of life. That's it. Not a word about original sin. 
What about the serpent? He'll crawl on your belly. Okay. And what about Eve? Come on. What about Eve? What, did, what was it? Childbirth. Now, we really got a bad, didn't we? But, you know, childbirth. Now, listen. All I'm, I'm not trying to be clever, but that's all that is said. It's all that's said. Yes, they made a mistake. They each had a consequence for their action, which affected them incredibly and no doubt affected people around them. But it wasn't that. You get me? There were three characters held responsible for their actions. Now, I have to put this in here and I hope nobody's offended by me saying it. But once we get the idea that what one person does affects everybody so badly like the original sin concept, you can see why even in the church you have the ideas of, oh, well, so-and-so has been doing so-and-so and not living right. And that's why we haven't got the spirit of the Lord in the place. It comes from that spirit because it has to find somebody to blame. And I've heard it all my life. And I can honestly say I have also been the subject of it. Oh, well, you know, if Chris Chapman hadn't done X, we wouldn't be in, be in this place. That comes from that spirit because it's saying that I affect all of you. Now, yes, I do affect you. And so do you affect me. Well, I'll tell you what, that's rarely spoken about how people in a church affect us two. Well, that's never talked about. It's just how we, as leaders, whatever, affect others. Do you see what I mean? And yet, in, in all honesty, we are then saying that what I birth ultimately gets passed on to Jenny, to you, to you, because it just does that by default. That's that spirit, and that's why I'm bringing it to you, because it doesn't just, this belief doesn't just affect what we believe about our faith. It, it, it actually influences our beliefs about other things. For instance, when we then get into all this talk, and I hate it now, but about spirituality, well, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's because I've sinned that this has happened in my life. Maybe it's because I haven't been giving right that this has happened in my life. Maybe it's this, that, and the other. And it's because we're attached to this original sin that says whatever happens, it just goes whoosh. Rather than saying no, and actually, Ezekiel, I was, <laughs> I was going to bring this next week. I may, maybe bring it next week as well. Ezekiel in the Bible, he really did get his, his, his hog out. He was a prophet, you know, and he, he said, right, I don't agree with some of the stuff. And we've talked about it in another session about different parts of the Bible challenging other parts of the Bible because they got a, a greater revelation. Ezekiel actually challenged what Moses had said because he says, the God you're talking about is not the God that I understand. Because it, Moses had said, the sins of the fathers, just get this, are visited on the children to the third and fourth generation. Hang on a minute, where's he living? See what I mean? And then Ezekiel comes along and says, 
nah, that, uh, that's the, no, I don't, I'm not going with that. And he even puts down, he says, look, he says, the truth is that the man who sins will die, the one who sins will die. Now you might think, well, that's bad enough. No, but at least he's bringing it to the responsibility of the one rather than saying, no, I mean, what's this? Yeah, there at the bottom there. Because he's saying, look, stop it affecting everybody. What's up? Sorry. Need to tell me something? No? What? All right, sorry. I thought you were telling me something. I like it. I don't mind hecklers as long as they're helping me with something. Um, uh, so basically, Ezekiel's saying, look, I'm even going to challenge Moses because Moses has got himself caught in this idea of original sin, that it's been passed on, and it's even passed on to third and fourth generation, he said, no, that's not what I understand. So, hang on, moving on. Um, so, here's the question. What if, as the picture of Genesis show us, that consequences is, is the only punishment that there is? It's lovely. I mean, I'm really thrilled about it because I just think, do you know what? I can look at my own life and think, I've, I have been punished. I have been punished for a choice that I made. I've had to live through hell in some respects, the choice that I made. And I know some of you understand in your own lives the choices you make and you think, oh, I've paid for that one. And yet we then still add on and we'll say, yes, but there's a further punishment. There's got to be a bigger punishment. And then, of course, we need a God who's going to what? See what I mean? He's going to do this. Rather than realizing, actually, no, the consequence was, was a punishment enough. That brings us to a place where we talk about the justice then that we all crave. Isn't that sad? that we're not satisfied with where the consequence of a situation is doing its work. We actually want something more. I don't know, we've got to talk about it. I mean, and I mean, I was a little bit concerned bringing this tonight because of what's happened today with that little girl and, and then you start thinking about evil and you want to go back to, do you hear it? This is where we want to go because we want to say, yeah, it proves it. We're born in sin. It's in us to the core. But I'm not going there. I don't believe it. I believe that, that even that, whoever it was that's done whatever they've done, there are reasons. And sadly, those reasons weren't, weren't what's the word? In, 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 corrected or intercepted or got in the way of. Isn't it just so sad? But what happened? Well, let me just offer you a question. What happens if that young girl has been told all her life that she's damned, that she's totally depraved, that there's no hope, that there's a God out there who just thinks that you're rubbish? Are, are you with me? Now, I know we are not doing that in this church, but I need you to understand what has been the, the voice for centuries that we're now fighting against and that sometimes we're in trouble for because we're not towing the party line. So let's just 
talk about Paul. Are we all right for time? Yeah, we are. We're fine, aren't we? Um, let me just talk about Paul then, because some people can say, yes, but what about Paul and what he said? Well, I just want to say, well, what about Paul? But I will be kind, and I'll have a look at, look at Paul. And like I say, we've got um, the fact that original sin isn't really covered in, in the New Testament either. Now, remember, we can make anything either be what we want it to be or not be what we want it to be. So I'll hold my hand up to that. But again, the, the concept, yes, Paul, let me just find it. He admits that Adam started it. He does. He says, one man. He started this. Sorry? And then he says, but Jesus, one man here and one man there. But what he doesn't do is say, yes, because of one man, everybody then is in the original sin. He basically says this. He says, um, okay, Adam started it, but basically the kids just continued the family tradition. You get it? They just continued the family tradition. It wasn't that they were born with it, but just think about it. What you do at Christmas time, your lovely traditions, it was, you know, Jenny Flintoff was brining her turkey, right? Do you know what that means? You, you basically put it in a bucket of uh, like vinegar and, and herbs and stuff. It's this sort of an old-fashioned, very uh, Victorian-y type thing that you do. Now, I want to ask a question. Is it likely that her daughter will brine the turkey when she is older? Now, why? It's not because of any wrongness or any rightness. It's tr become a tradition. Oh, let's brine the turkey. Now, what if all of a sudden, brining the turkey became a great sin? There would be an incredible um, gravitational pull to brine the turkey if that's what you've done all your life. Now, think about it. If you're with parents who are acting a particular way, what are the kids going to do? They're going to act the same. But what we're making sure we understand here is the difference between doing like somebody and being born with it intrinsic, intrinsically within us. That is very different. And when something is born within you, how do you escape that? Now, I believe, and I talk to a lot of people who struggle because their view of God towards them is so horribly tied up in original sin. They believe that still in the eyes of God, they're horrible, that they're wicked, that they're unloved, that they're unacceptable, because even this, right, what we call salvation, and I'm going to just show you now, it can actually bite you in the bum. And you think, well, how can it? But I'll show you why. Listen to this. We are left with this understanding of salvation, that Jesus is the only one capable of pleasing the Father. That's not fair, is it? We're his kids, but we'll never be able to please him, ever, because we are totally depraved. So Jesus is the only one who will ever be capable of pleasing the Father, and we just have to accept that. So how does that change our lives? If we're continuing, oh yeah, well, there's Jesus, but we're totally depraved. 
I think there's going to be a lot of very depressed people. Oh, yes. Oh, well, thank you. But it doesn't change what I feel about me. See? We are merited with what Jesus did, but we can never get out from under what we are. Ooh, do you get it? So we're given, like, for instance, listen to this. We're given a robe of righteousness, but what came to me is like a cloaking device. Why? So that God can't see us because we're still so vile. So the robe of righteousness is not a robe of righteousness. It's a Harry Potter cloak. <laughs> so it becomes a cloaking device so God doesn't have to set his eyes on us. The only part that God basically loves and adores is the part that looks like Jesus. That's not very positive, is it? He's still not pleased with us, but the Jesus costume works. Like that. Took me ages to figure that out. You're still not accepted. You never will be. Jesus is, though. Oh, I'm glad you did that because what I wrote here was in times past, someone would shout, Hallelujah! But really, there's nothing to be hallelujah about. Because, yes, it's lovely that Jesus is accepted by the Father. But we, but what about me? You get it? So the good news is far better than that. So we could take each one of these. We talked about substitutionary penal and atonement last year. Some of you won't even remember it, but we can talk about that again. And we've obviously talked about this a little bit, but we've also talked about the fact we don't even believe that this is there anymore. But these three always go together as the backbone of this God that Western Christianity have chosen to accept, right? Now, like we said in previous um, uh, sessions, we, we do not believe that that is the God of Jesus at all. I don't. And um, I want to make sure that our, our concept of God is correct. Because if our... Now, you could say, well, does it matter? He is absolute truth. In one sense, no. Because I believe that God is God and he is going to be faithful regardless, right? Because that's what we, we know of God to be true. However, it matters in this life. Because if you have a wrong concept of God who believes that you are totally depraved, and this is what has to take place. You will always feel that you've never done enough. Never done enough. And uh, that's where it gets really, really sad. And that's why I said at the beginning, we, we keep going round in circles saying, yeah, but what if, what if, what if, what if? And really, change that whole idea. And we have a God who absolutely adores us and adores humanity 
And like I said about the woman at the well, and I'm going to read what I, I said about that, and then I'll finish, because I've said enough. Um, where was it? It was over here somewhere. Yeah. See, if we're like this, we'll continue to have a thirst. And that thirst is always going to be for the God out there to cover me because I'm still constantly horrible and following me. Uh, whereas if we understand that humanity is incredibly honoured and loved and adored by its creator, this is how our thirst will be satisfied. Because when the life of which we are ashamed, with which we are discontented or even just terrified to live, is something that God says needs no escaping, he knows it, approves of it, and is fully intent of living it with us, that's when our thirst becomes satisfied and we're not always looking to be different than who we are. We're human. I remember Dave used to shout, we're human. He had a point. Because that humanity, when God created it, he said, it's good. And next week I will give you some pointers to her about what the Bible really says about the situation. When I say the Bible, some parts of the Bible says. Is that okay? And um, I hope you've got the premise tonight. Have you got the premise? I hope you have. I really have painted a black picture in order that you might understand why we feel we've had to swing the pendulum hard. Because that news isn't good. It's not good. And we want good news. And we believe that Jesus came to bring good news. And I believe that if we just cut to it very quickly, what Jesus' whole job was, rather than this, he came actually to, to expose our faulty understandings of God. That's what he came to do, to expose it. And uh, all I would like to say to you is please rejoice in the fact that you've deconstructed some stuff. Don't get all upset and think, oh, I don't know where I am now. Just think, do you know what? I am at least delighted that I'm not where I was holding to some of this rubbish that, you know, we used to hold on to. And I put my hand up. I was there. I swallowed stuff that now when I think about it, I am I'm horrified. It was almost like, well, yeah, but God's God. You know, God's God. He can do what he likes. And I'm thinking... But we can't just do what we like. So, you know, it, it makes it, like, interesting. Can I just tell you one more thing? I know time's going, but um, I had the most incredible um, experience in the early hours of um, the Saturday night, Sunday morning. I was up, and um, I was on Facebook. I'm in a group that is about 800 people who are really burned out what you would call fundamentalists, which is actually people who have really bought in to this and have got so burnt out that they really don't know what to do with themselves. They've walked out of churches. They've said, I'm never going back there. And I've been talking to some of them in the hope that I can just give some hope and, and some life. Anyway, this, um, somebody had put up a question uh, or, or, or a statement, and I felt I wanted to get involved. And um, I be, the, the thing was about um, God being this angry, 
horrible policeman in the sky who's basically watching over everything we do, watching for every move to slap our hands when we get it wrong. And she'd put something like, um, it's, you know, he's always watching to see if you've got your hand in the cookie jar, which is like a statement for, are you trying to have something that doesn't belong to you or what, what have you? And then this woman went on to say that um, uh, she'd read somewhere that the God of Jesus would not only say, have the cookies, but if he found your hand in the cookie jar, he'd say, come on, let's have two or let's have three. It was just that lovely idea of God's not like that. He's actually wanting to, to bless and give. So I put on a post and I just said how, you know, in, in, in the most uh, dark place where I was, I found there was cookies galore when I was where I felt that all was lost, actually that's where I met grace, that's where I found the grace of God. It wasn't the, the original sin place where it was, yeah, you're totally depraved, that's it, you're gone. It was, no, come on, let's have a cookie. And I put that down and um, she came back saying, uh, oh, um, I, I am just so fed up of God, listen to this, testing me and demanding that I give up everything that I love. Um, she said, uh, I just feel all the time that, that that's how God has been with me. So I, and I'm sorry, I'm not giving you it exactly, but I'm giving, trying to give you the spirit of it. So I went back and I said, I do not believe that God is like that at all. I said, I believe that what the church has done has made it all about how much we love God rather than basking in how much God loves us. And I said, I don't even think he measures how much we love him particularly because he's just so oozing with love for us. He can't be bothered. It's like, oh, I just love you, right? And uh, I said, while you're fussing about all that you have to do to prove whether you love God or not, he's just screaming out, will you let me love you? And then I wrote her name well she came back just saying oh thank you so much that has brought me to tears I want a God like yours now I hope you're thrilled with that that's over the other side of the world in the middle of the night Saturday uh, Sunday morning and that's the sort of influence that you have why because you take them out of here see and there's freedom and there's that oh I didn't realize that that's what God was like and they suddenly realize that there's something different and their thirst is quenched right I'm shutting up and leave it there and uh, we can talk a bit more, pick up next week, uh, fill, fill in any gaps. If you have any questions that you think weren't clear, please, please tell me. I'll do my best. Some of these things aren't easy to study because you, you're sort of jumping around and you want to make it as, um, you know, as clear as possible. But uh, there you go. All right.
Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.